Turn your Bible to the book of Matthew, chapter 13. Matthew, chapter 13. We're going to begin reading at verse 44. I hesitate to do this because back in our super conference, we heard one of our greatest messages ever from Matthew, chapter 13, verse 44. And I'm not going to preach what he preached. You already heard it, or you can get the recording and go back and listen to it, and that'll be fine. That was Brother Jerry Ross, and uh, what a tremendous message he brought. Notice, beginning in verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, notice among these two parables told by the Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture said that in verse 44, that when he found the field, uh, the Bible says, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth, notice, all that he hath to buy the field because of the treasure that was there. Now, he had to buy the field, but it was the treasure that he was after. You understand that? You get to the next verse, and it says in verse, four, or verse 46, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had. All that he had. We are to love God with all our hearts. We're to serve him with all our hearts. All our hearts are to be dedicated to him. I want to preach tonight on selling all to serve. Selling all to serve. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I beg you tonight for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, this is a day in which we're all concerned about feelings and hurts and desires, and we lose sight so easily of why we're even here, why we're on the planet why you saved us, what we're to be doing. Lord, it seems like you can attract people with all kinds of things, with all kinds of glitter, to simply please them to get them in out of pleasure. And yet the reality is we are here to reach as many as we can because they are the great treasure that Jesus came and died for on the cross of Calvary. So, Lord, help us tonight, I pray, and we'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, we can throw out numbers all day long, and the numbers really have little meaning to us. Like when I hear that somebody that makes, uh, has $7 billion, I don't comprehend that. I mean, can you imagine having $7 billion? I can't even comprehend having $7 billion dollars. How would you spend it all? And why would you spend it all? And why wouldn't you spend it all? You had $7 billion. I'll tell you, one of your great expenses is going to be security. You're going to spend a lot of money to try to keep it because you know there's going to be a lot of people out there to try to get it. Isn't that right? When it comes to numbers, well, they tell us that right now we're closing in on 8 billion people on planet Earth. 
I remember, I mean, it's during my lifetime when, uh, matter of fact, after I got saved in the 1970s, we, when we went up to 4 billion people on the planet. And now we've almost doubled that. And when you consider that they tell us that back in um, two, or 2,000 years ago, the population was only 300 million, not billion. 300 million people on the entire planet at that time. So we've increased a lot of folks. You realize that there has never been a day when there have been more lost people on planet Earth than today. And the command of the Lord Jesus Christ is still to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now the parables you find in chapter 13 of the book of Matthew are called the kingdom parables. And he's talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, obviously, the kingdom of heaven will be made up of the redeemed. Those that Jesus Christ died for on the cross of Calvary. He gave it all to reach the lost. He gave it all to reach me. He loved me, gave himself for me. That was Paul's testimony. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he left the main job of the church with that command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Because you see, Jesus died for every creature. But how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Well, he has sent us, and our job is to go and tell them, because you see, that is not a job that has been given to the angels. As a matter of fact, when God sent an angel to the household of Cornelius, and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 was seeking the Lord, that angel could not tell Cornelius how to be saved. What he told Cornelius to do was descend to where Peter was at and get Peter to come, And Peter would tell him how to get saved. Well, now, surely the angels know the plan of salvation. I mean, after all, they witnessed what Jesus did. They looked out over heaven. They saw Jesus on the cross. They knew of his death and his burial and his resurrection. But that was work done for mankind. And it's not the responsibility of the angels to spread the gospel to mankind. It's the job of the church to spread the gospel to mankind. And just as Jesus Christ gave it all for what he considered to be a great treasure, he expects us to give our all. I mean, after all, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It is not about getting a crowd to attend It's about getting people saved. Please understand that. A big building, we have a medium building. I mean, there are a lot of churches a lot smaller than us, and there are a lot of churches a lot bigger than us. There are churches that don't even preach the gospel that are bigger than us. But it's not about how big we are. It's about being faithful to reach the the treasure. It's about being faithful to do what we can do to get that which the Lord Jesus paid for on the cross of Calvary. 
It is a command given to us. If we're going to do that, there are six essentials for the Christian selling out for service for God. When I talk about selling out for service for God, I'm not talking about surrendering to preach. I mean, God calls certain people to do that. He calls people into different ministries. But overall, still the main job is reaching the lost with the gospel of Christ. That is the main job. I dare say that for the most part, a lot of us, this preacher included, have gotten sidetracked during especially the time of the pandemic. We were just trying to stay open. We were just trying to conduct what we felt we were here to conduct as far as even just taking care of the saints, yet alone reaching the lost. And beside that, there were so many restrictions And the devil's always seen to it to try to throw as many restrictions as possible in the way of the church. Uh, This time it was by a pandemic, and other times it's been by way of war. And other times, different things that have taken place, different battles have had to be fought. But what are the essentials if Madison Baptist Church is going to fulfill what we are here for? You know, I thank the Lord we have more right now in the bank than what we've ever had. But God didn't give it to us to put it in the bank. He gave it to us to use to win the loss to Jesus Christ. We've tried to be intelligent with the money that's come in. We've spent a fortune on missions and missionaries around the world. Why? Well, we spend that fortune on missionaries around the world to fulfill the, uh, the job that Christ has given us in winning the lost. I mean, you realize last year we almost gave a million dollars just to missions. Last year, Madison Baptist Church. That's fantastic. Praise the Lord. What's he got for us this year? I don't know. We'll see what God does with that and touching hearts and dealing with people. But he didn't give it to us for us to send in the bank. He gave it to us to send out to missions. So we seek to do that. We give special gifts to different missionaries, not just those that are out of Madison Baptist Church, to try to help them with different things. Uh, The key about that, of course, is that we have to pray to uh, get God's wisdom as to what he'd have to do with each one. Anyway, in this passage, I see some essentials for us about selling out to Christ in reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one, the convictions that we must have. In chapter 13 and verse 46, he saw a pearl of great price, and he went and sold all that he had. Do you realize whether they are the people from the downtown rescue mission or from the projects or from those that attend the bars, the many bars, All around Madison and Huntsville, Alabama, people who wanted nothing to do with God, those are the ones Jesus died for and were to try to reach them. Those biker dudes and biker babes that are out there and have tattooed themselves all up and drive their motorcycles all around the place, guess what? We're to reach them. The drunkards, we're to reach them. The foul, the cursers, the prostitutes, We are to reach them. You see, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I was just as much a sinner as anybody that's on the planet today when God saved me. 
thank God that he did. I praise the Lord. I love that song, How Can It Be? How Can It Be That God Should Love a Soul Like Me? Uh, we have to understand what kind of sinners we are. We're bad sinners. We're horrible sinners. It took just as much of the blood of Christ to pay for my sin as it did for anybody else on the planet. That's reality. The convictions we must have. And I can think of two things especially we need to be convicted about. Number one is the value of the very gospel we preach. There is no better message. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There is no greater message out there. And nobody can get on TV with their millions and bring a greater message than the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you convicted about that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he spells it out very clearly that it is the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Son of God. God making full payment for our sins. He was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. There is nothing like it. It saves sinners from hell. It gives them heaven, gives them forgiveness. It's value because it is unique. There is no other message that brings salvation to anybody. No other message that gets a person out of hell. No other message that gets a person to heaven than the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only message that works. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, God pronounces a curse upon those who bring any other gospel. He even goes on to say, if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel... Let them be accursed. He said, even if we come back and do it, makes no difference. One message, one message it saves, no message like it. It's the same. It's been the same for the church through all of these years, through the entire church age. We don't have to look around and say, hey, what's the special message for this narcissistic generation, this wicked generation that we live in? Well, guess what? Same one church has always had. And that makes it simple, doesn't it? We don't even have to be a rocket scientist to get this. It's the message that works. I believe it's the message that works. We also must be convicted about the vastness for the gospel that we proclaim. It's every creature. The gospel has been committed to us. Paul said, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. I am debtor, so as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel unto you that are in Rome also. We are debtors. He saved us. Thank God for the salvation we have. But it's not about party, and I know there's a lot of things that we do, but the main thing has got to be the winning of the lost, always. Even over the internet right now, if there's someone watching that's never been born again, you may be a nice person as far as people go. You may be one of the most honest people that anybody's ever met, but you'll die and go to hell if you don't come to Jesus. You say, well, I'll build churches all over the country. No, you'll die and go to hell unless you come to Jesus. There's no amount of money you can give, no amount of work that you can do to get to heaven. You can only come to Christ and in him you get salvation. And you understand that this gospel that's been committed to us, that we have an enemy who tries to hide it. The Bible says if our gospel be hid, 
It is hid unto them which are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And since God's not going to use the angels, we got to get that message out, and we will answer to God for how we've done it. You know, we're not going to answer to the people who died in the Civil War or to God about the people who died in the Civil War or World War I or World War II. We weren't even alive then. But we are going to answer for the lost that die around the world. The church has had the message now for 2,000 years. I'm reminded of the story that I heard Brother uh, Ron Corley tell many years ago when he had first gone out to Navajo land. And they had won an old Navajo lady to Jesus Christ. Oh, she was so excited. She had come to Christ. But as she heard the preaching, she realized that if she needed to hear the gospel in order to be saved, that her mom and her dad and her grandparents and those that were there before her, that they died without the Savior. They died lost. And she came to the missionary. And she said to the missionary, she said, how long have you had this wonderful news? She said, well, the church is, he, they said, the church has had it for 2,000 years. And then she got a very stern look on her face. And in a, in a tone of rebuke, she said, why did it take you so long to get it here? Yeah, we can't do anything about those who've gone on before. But we ought to be doing our best to get it to everyone around the world. I know it's the responsibility of all the redeemed to get the gospel out, but we ought to treat it like it's our personal responsibility at Madison Baptist Church to get it to all those that are lost. Missionary Robert Moffat wrote, We have all of eternity to enjoy our victories, but only one short life to win them. And for those of us who are in their 60s or in their 70s or in their 80s right now, I believe you would all say an amen to the fact it went by way too fast. If we're going to do it, we've got to do it now. And for you younger adults and for you single adults and for you young people, teenagers, I tell you what, the lost don't have time for you to play around and finally get a clue. Because they're dying at the rate of almost two every second on the earth. Not only must we have those convictions, but the contacts that we have to make. Paul writes in Acts 20, 20, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. I can't tell you over the years how many times we have had people call the church office and complain about soul winners from Madison Baptist Church knocking on their door. I've had people say to me things like this. Well, I don't think you ought to be going around and trying to push your religion off on other people. And I'll say very kindly, well, I appreciate that you think that way, but that leaves me in some kind of a dilemma. Because my Lord and Master said that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We read in Acts that they did it house to house. And now I've got a problem, you see. Do I obey you or do I obey the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who saved me? We're simply doing what the Lord Jesus Christ told us to do. 
Now I know this, and I don't tell them this at that time. I know that if they get saved, they'll appreciate that we did it. Until then, they may hate us for doing it, but they will appreciate it once they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. In Matthew 24, verse 14, the scripture says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. In Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, After these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. In John 17, 18, Jesus said, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. The church is not about membership. It's about salvation. It's about Christ and his desire for souls. It's not about making us comfortable or to feel important or to somehow prosper. It is for us to win the loss to Jesus. We are to go more, win more. And by the way, doing that makes more people one. It's a matter of talking to more and more people. Do you realize that in soul winning, and it doesn't have to be Thursday night soul winning, Saturday morning soul winning. It could be talking to a person in the parking lot at Walmart. It could be talking to a person at the mall. It could be talking to that irritating person that just called you on the phone to try to sell you insurance and saying, I'm glad you called. Let me tell you about Jesus for a moment. We are commanded to tell them all to get the gospel out. So, So there's the conviction that we must have and the contacts that we must make But there is competition. You say, what's the competition? Well, let me give you just a few. Number one, there are false prophets out there. And Jesus warned us that there would be false prophets out there. Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. In 2 Peter 2, 1, he says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Man, we've had people from the cults who visited, well, you've had people from the cults knock on your doors, whether they be the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons. We can name a number of different groups that spread a totally different gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ is found in the Word of God. That goes on all the time. As a matter of fact, Paul, in his last words to the church at Ephesus, he warned them about people coming in, uh, ravening wolves to draw them after them. One of the battles that I as a pastor have to face is the doctrinal battle to keep the church pure and right, whether it be the Calvinists, whether it be, man, there's so many different groups out there, so many different doctrines, and the internet has only allowed that mass of false information fake gospels to multiply on the face of the earth so that most people are confused. Well, it's not important what you believe. Oh, it's vitally important what you believe. You've got to believe right about Jesus Christ. You've got to believe right about the fact that you're a sinner and you're on your way to hell and you cannot save yourself. 
that it's his work through his death, burial, and resurrection that you were even given an opportunity to be saved. And God doesn't make people get saved. He gives you a choice to trust Christ as Savior or not. You've got that terrible heresy of Calvinism out there that teaches that you can only get saved if the Holy Spirit of God regenerates you first and then gives you faith to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Cease to it by the way that you do it because he's elected you to be saved. Aren't you blessed with that? Although you don't know whether or not you've been elected to be saved. I mean, they're they're telling you that God who said that he loves the world and had his son Jesus die for everybody, not for us only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The scripture is very, very plain about that. They'll tell you, no, his blood was only shed for those that he has elected before. And if you weren't one of the elect, there's not a thing in the world you can do about it. Absolutely no say whatsoever. They've come up with a false teaching about God, a God that is different from the Scripture. They believe that God, because he is sovereign, he has to decide who gets saved. Well, there's a sense in which he has decided. Who is going to heaven? Those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And the sovereign God gave every man a free choice... To take him or not. And you don't get regenerated until you trust Christ as your Savior. Now that is so clear throughout the scripture. And the church has to continue to stand for that. Because friend, it does matter what you believe. You've got to believe right. False prophets. And then there's another battle and that's the world. I mean, the world is sneaky about the way that it does it. You take Demas. I preached on him a few weeks ago. And Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Here was a man who served God with the Apostle Paul, but he fell in love with the things of the world. Now think about it for a second, because in Demas' day, they didn't have anywhere, anywhere near the cool stuff that we got today. Do you realize we can push a button today and be over in Europe and push a button today and lock all the doors at our house? And we can turn the thermostat up and down. And we can look at our phone and see, well, we're 500 miles away. We can look at our phone and see everything that's going on in the neighborhood around us. If we put enough cameras up. Man, we got so much cool stuff and play things and things to help us. All of that. But God says, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In James 4, 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God, and whosoever therefore will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. You see, the reality is we start falling in love with the world, we'll stop doing, we'll we'll stop going after this pearl of great price to win the loss, the Christ that God loves so much and wants to see saved. And then we just simply got the battles of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, it's interesting. If you start talking about fighting the devil and you talk any bit about demons at all, you're a religious nutcase. But if you can get on discovery 
and come up with some little uh, meter to go into a room and you have demons talk to you, you're a scientist. Isn't that amazing? Well, why is it like that? Well, you know the devil. He denies himself to the world, and yet the world, man, it's amazing how many people actually worship the devil. They think he's the one that's all-powerful. But he's already a defeated foe. So we've got the convictions that we must have and the contacts that we must make, and we understand there is competition out there and the false prophets and the world and the devil and all of that. Well, that's going to require then on our part some courage to go out there. Matthew 10, 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. In Acts 20, 19, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, if you read back in missions, whether it be missions from England around the world or missions in the United States, a lot of tremendous testimonies of people who left the relative safety of what they had in America to go to places where just they lived in constant danger. And to be sure, a lot of missionaries became martyrs for the faith, gave their lives to spread the gospel to a lost and dying world. But today, we only want to go to places where it's safe. And when danger comes about, we evacuate people right away because we care for our loved ones and all of that. If you want to find missionaries to go to the most dangerous places in the world today, they'll usually be missionaries out of the Philippines. They go into Southeast Asia, into some of these Muslim countries, and they risk their lives to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't count their lives as dear. They count the gospel as dear. In spreading the gospel, that's the kind of conviction that missionaries had back in the 1800s, the 1700s, the early part of the 1900s in this country. British Antarctic explorer Sir Ernest Shackleton, by the way, his biography is a powerful one to read, published this ad in the British papers in 1900 for the National Antarctic Expedition, which, by the way, failed to reach the South Pole. Here was the ad that he printed. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case we succeed. Shackleton later said that it seemed as though all the men in Great Britain were determined to accompany me. The response was so overwhelming. It's amazing what people were willing to die for. A little recognition. C.T. Studd in 1912, as a missionary trying to get the church to get a burden for Africa, Meanwhile, thousands upon thousands were leaving England to go down to Africa to hunt gold because they heard that there was a lot of gold available down there. And so C.T. Studd wrote this. He said, if such men hear so loudly the call of God and obey it, uh, I'm sorry, if such men hear so loudly the call of gold and obey it, can it be that the ears of Christ's soldiers are deaf to the call of God? 
and the cries of the dying souls of men are gamblers for gold so many and gamblers for God so few. I dare say that men have really not changed. There's the conviction we must have and the contacts that we must make and the competition that we face and the courage we need to have, but then there's also the cost. We're warned by the Lord Jesus Christ that we are to count the cost, to be sure, in Luke chapter 9. But, for instance, it costs to support missionaries. But we do that, and you do that, and you do that very well, and you give for missions, all of that. It costs to run buses. I hate to look at how much that we spend in, for gas money on the buses, how much we spend for insurance for the buses, how much we spend on mechanics for the buses. Sometimes, sometimes we get through the year only spending several thousand dollars. And sometimes we spend tens of thousands of dollars on fixing up the buses because it seems like when they break down, it's always the part that's hardest to get. Uh, But then it takes an awful lot of time and work just to go out and knock on the doors and get them to come and thank God for bus workers who will give the time to do what they do to get those people here. Now, most of those ones that come in on the buses are children, but we do have some adults that come in too. But hey, Christ died for them. We're commanded to reach them. And the people we reach on our buses, for the most part, are people that would never even be able to come to church, and especially a church like this, if we didn't go get them. So yes, it costs. But the church has always been willing to shoulder the cost of winning the loss to Christ. And that leads me to the last point, and that's the confidence then that we must have. In John 14, 6, the scripture says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. You understand that the confidence we have is not in us. It is in the gospel. It is in the power of God through his blessed Holy Spirit. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I know that there's, I've heard all kinds of things about easy believism and this and that. I don't have any doubt there are people that have shallow presentations of the gospel. We ought to do our best to give the gospel clearly. But I want you to understand this. Since everyone we talk to is at a different stage in what they may know, how much they may really know about God. There are some people that are so ready to be saved, all they need is somebody to come and give them a challenge to be saved. There are some people that God's been working on for a while. They're like fruit that is about ready to fall from the tree. And then there are some people that you're going to have to plant, and then you're going to have to water, and you're going to have to spend a lot of time with. You go back to the days of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody had great revivals throughout America. Here was a man who had only had a third grade education, and he ended up shaking two continents with the gospel of Christ. And it wasn't because he was such an intelligent man. It wasn't because he was a great organizer. This was a man who had the power of the Holy Ghost upon him, and he has a testimony about when God filled him with the Spirit. It didn't lead to speaking in any kind of unknown language. There wasn't a sound of a rushing mighty wind. But the filling of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is always for one of two reasons. It's either for service or testimony. Always. 
Always. There is not an exception to that. Service or testimony every time in the Scripture. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts that lost person of their need for salvation, that convicts that lost person of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And back during D.L. Moody's day, uh, this sounds so shallow to me. He was in England. And in England, preaching, having some great revivals with thousands of people getting saved. And what they would do is they would read John 3.16 when people would come forward. Now understand, this is after they just heard a gospel message. It wasn't like all this was new to them. And at that time in England, there were a number of very clear Bible preachers that had full churches, so the gospel was getting out. But they would take the, the, the seekers to the back. They would open up their Bible to John 3.16 and read it out loud and ask the person that came forward, do you believe that? And if they said yes, then praise God, brother, you're saved. Now, I just don't believe that would always be true. But out of those meetings, they had hundreds upon hundreds of people Truly get it, obviously, because there was a gigantic change in their life. Many becoming preachers and missionaries around the globe. The Cambridge Seven that got saved were seven of the most famous cricketers. In, in English language, that would be baseball players, although cricket's not really baseball. But uh, they were the most famous cricketers in all of England and China Inland Missions. Uh, the work that was done over there because of the uh, Heart of Africa missions, uh, C.T. Studd. You had, you had just a D.E. host, a number of guys. Uh, matter of fact, C.T. Studd's two brothers also became missionaries and got saved during the D.L. Moody meetings and the time that was going on. Why? I'll tell you why. The power of God. The Holy Spirit of God convicts. The Holy Spirit of God brings conviction to lead the person to the place where they can make a choice. They reject him, they remain lost. If they trust Christ as Savior, he saves them and makes them a new creature. I don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I believe in being as clear as what you can possibly be. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't clarify it, they're not going to get it. He has to make it clear to them. Amen. We have taken the Holy Spirit of God out of our soul winning and wonder why so few really get born again. The Holy Spirit's got to move. He's the one who makes it clear to their hearts. And it's funny, you know, you go out soul winning enough and you can see it happen. Sometimes while you're talking to a guy, it's plain, man, they're just not getting it. And then suddenly something will be said and you can see the light come on in their eyes. They understand now. It is trusting Jesus. It's not getting religious. It's not being a better person. It's putting all my trust in him. And when that comes true, matter of fact, you ought to read the testimony of Hudson Taylor. He got saved in a barn. His mom was saved. She'd been praying for her son. He ended up becoming a missionary to China, gave his life for missions in China. And uh, Hudson Taylor, it's an amazing story. Here he was in a barn reading John chapter 3. And it hit him as he read it. That was for me. That was for me. 
his mother came home and and when she got home he, she got down from the uh, from the carriage that she had been riding in and he came out of the barn and said mother I've got something to tell you she said I know the Holy Spirit of God's already told me you've trusted Christ haven't you yes mother I have Oh, it can't happen like that, can it? No, that's exactly how it happens. The Holy Spirit of God gets involved. Why do you think? Jesus said, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And those disciples, even though they had the command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, they didn't tell one person until they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And on that day they were filled, 3,000 came to Christ and trusted him as their Savior. What a powerful, powerful statement that is. We need to get that. Have confidence in his message. We don't need a new plan. We don't need better illustrations. We just need the power of the Holy Spirit of God upon us as we clearly give the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we read tonight, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto the treasure hid in the field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy therefore goeth, and selleth all that he hath. Then the next verse, in verse, four, or verse 46, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and bought it. We need to be at the place where we realize the most important thing Madison Baptist Church does. It's not the fellowships. It's not having outings. Most important thing we do is selling all that we have for that pearl of great price. Because that's where God's heart is. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Dear God, deal with us tonight. Uh, Lord, I'm the one responsible. I'm the pastor. I've, I have to answer to you for how sidetracked we have become. God, help us to get back to the main thing. Many of our older ones can look back at a few years ago as Madison Baptist Church was growing, leaps and bounds, great things, Lord, that you did. We were in that old building that the air conditioner couldn't even keep up. But people kept getting saved. You kept doing marvelous things in the lives of people. God, we pray that you'll change us to be like we should be. And that, Heavenly Father, you'll do your mighty work. And we'll be obedient in following you. Have your way in our hearts and lives tonight, I pray in Jesus' name.